So what he's saying is that you have a gentle, a controlled, okay, you're controlling your power. And then what you're doing is you are at peace with yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It's a journey that you have to take on your own, but we can come alongside you as guides, as encouragers, Mm -hmm. sometimes as bad joke tellers, but ultimately we are here to um, come alongside you as you go on this journey of faith and um, grow in your ways. We, um, Tuesdays, spend the time studying the Word and doing a Bible study, and Thursdays we uh, look at practical applications in the modern day. Yes. My, my name is Jesse Mayer, and I will be your host, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. <laughs> Douglas, 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 peak, peak, Oh my goodness. Peak, peak. <laughs> That's nutty. Welcome, everybody. I'm glad you're here today, and uh, we're coming up on 200 episodes, aren't we? We are. This is, we're 10 episodes away. 10 episodes away. Okay, yes. so this is 191. 191, so we're coming up on that. That's a milestone because, you know, tens of thousands of people start podcasts. Correct. And I think that the average dropout rate is between 10 and 12 episodes. That is, man, if we had stopped at 10 or 12 episodes, that would have been pretty... So we're just getting started, you know, we're getting in there. And I think what's really interesting is how the audience for the Salty Pastor is just slowly growing and growing and growing. And it does it through word of mouth. It does it through uh, referrals, you, you yep. the sharing. listener telling and sharing about it. And so we're going to continue to do this and we're going to keep growing. And we're really excited. I was at a wedding in Kansas and there were some people there from Western Kansas out in Hayes. And they said, uh, yeah, we never miss an episode of the salty pastor and now we have um whole groups of women that are listening to it so oh, here's cool. a shout out to all of you wonderful people in hayes kansas hayes kansas hayes kansas so it's really awesome well i'm so excited to hear about how our audience is so diverse and it's across yeah. the country we've got a lot of yeah. different people from a lot of different walks of life and they're finding value and encouragement through this podcast and that's ultimately mm-hmm. what we want so yes we are currently in a series titled the future is male and female um, we started off with the importance of males and are now talking about the importance of females yes um, we started that last week and we had a great celebration of mothers on sunday and their importance uh, in that sermon you talked about. Yeah. And this week we're going to be trying to answer the question, what does an authentically feminine female <laughs> look like? <laughs> and we'll walk this line carefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, first, this is what I'd like to say. The, the, the feminine is not about dress or hair or whatever, body type or anything at all like that. Mm. Even though you've been blessed by God with feminine features and those are a part of who you are and your makeup, our goal is not to discuss that particularly today. And secondly, I'd like to say I really can't tell a woman what it means to be an authentically feminine woman because I'm a guy, I've never been a woman. And, you know, women from day one, uh, their brain chemistry is different than males. Right. And the other thing too, is that when they enter puberty, their hormonal balance is totally different than males. Uh, Females cycle every month and Mm -hmm. it creates all of these things within her. I've never, ever experienced that. And so I, you know, men don't menstruate regardless of what the world is trying to tell people today. Right. And so the issue is, is that because of that, I cannot fully 
say, this is what it means for you as a female to be authentically feminine, which is not a problem then for us to talk about it because the salty pastor has never been about us telling you what to think or right. what to be. It's never been that. But because the second thing is I can comment on uh, the actual teachings in the New Testament for the sake of clarity. And so I can say, this is what the Bible clearly is saying to women, this is how women would hear it and understand it mm. in that context. Now it's up to you to decide how you interact with it, what it means to you as a female and how it applies to you becoming authentically feminine. I can't do that for you, nor would I ever want to, but it's about providing you with the necessary context and the history so that you can chew on it and you can then grow in your faith by clarifying what you believe. And one of the reasons why I think it's important for me to do this at this period of time is because there's a lot of women that have been teaching on these passages of scripture. And in the process, they're doing a disservice to women because they're actually uh, misrepresenting what the New Testament says. Mm. And this is really prominent on social media. You get these little clips and people will come up with these quirky little things that they say, you know, that, that, oh, this is what this passage means. And they're totally missing the mark. Mm. So I guess let's, with that kind of context of what we're going to be doing today is mm -hmm. we're going to dig into it, really shed some light on what these passages actually mean that sometimes are misrepresented yes. by men and women. Mm -hmm. Um, on social media and these various platforms, and that'll help us equip the women of our podcast or the men who are listening to understand the feminine beauty of what femininity is in God's eyes, right? Yeah, you got a lot of feminines going on in that sense. I did. I, 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 did, I had to make sure I was using all the right things. Um, so let's dig in and see if we can discover what the New Testament teaches about an authentically feminine woman. Yeah, and so I, I'll, I'll clarify this. I'll read it. I'll clarify it. But it's up to you ladies to know how to apply it. Yes. That's what's really critical here. And last week we talked about Proverbs 31, verses 10 through the end of the chapter. Today we're going to talk into another really important passage of Scripture written by the Apostle Peter to the entire church, uh, chapter three, verses one through six. And here's what it says. Uh, now he's, he's talking to husbands, he's talking to different people, but he has this section just for ladies and he's talking specifically to wives. Now this is what's really important to understand is that some ladies are going to say, well, because I'm single, it doesn't apply to me. Well, I, I want you to reconsider because in that culture, 99% of women were married. Mm. And if you weren't married, you were either, On your way to getting married yeah, or. you were living in the house of one of your sons and being taken care of as a widow, or you, your only other option to support yourself would probably be through harlotry. So there, there was no social network. There was no social safety net. Mm. And so that was really hard on men and it was really hard on women. It was hard on everybody, but it was in that environment. This is what he writes. So, so I think it's important to understand is that this applies to you as a woman, whether you're a wife or not. He says, verse one, in the same way, you wives be subject to your own husbands so that if, even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your pure and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not merely be external, the braiding of the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on apparel, but it should be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. 
For in this way, the holy women of former times who hoped in God also used to adorn themselves, being subject to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have proved to be her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So this is what's really interesting. He says, look, don't be frightened by fear. As a woman, don't be motivated by fear. Don't be motivated by insecurity. Don't be motivated or driven by anxiety or any of these types of things that can drive you as a female. And this passage, of course, strikes fear into the heart of many women. Mm. And they, because the word subject is what raises red flags. Now, what's really interesting is it wasn't a big deal for many women uh, over the last 1600 years, right? It wasn't a big deal to read that and, and try to have red flags about it. It wasn't only until about the last hundred years or so where it's become a red flag for women. Why? Well, because females, just like males, have been raised in a society that has attempted to propagate an ideology that we live in a male patriarchy. And the entire system is designed to oppress females. So whenever you then hear this word, you've been conditioned to immediately believe that, uh, well, it's, uh, this is a false, this doesn't apply to me, or it's uh, not applicable today because it's passed on. Mm. So, I've been really interested, especially since, you know, over the last 190 episodes, I've really enjoyed getting this, the context of why things were written a certain way, because that really reveals to me when mm -hmm. I'm reading these scriptures, what the heart of it was. Cause it's like, we, like you said, we read these words now in today's modern context without the understanding of the historical context or the philosophical context of the time. And we start to kind of bristle on things, right? Yes. And there's so many food and agricultural analogies. And it's like, I grew up on a ranch. I get them to a point, but it was different back then. Yeah. And I miss so many things in these parables and proverbs and all these things that they're talking about because I don't understand in my modern American brain what the context of when they wrote this was. I mean, if Jesus was telling parables now, he'd probably be using social media and these other different yeah, things different as things, an example, yeah. right? He was yeah. speaking to the people of the time. Yes. And we miss so many of those clues these days because we don't understand what the Correct. context was. So I'd like you, if you don't mind, Pastor, to <laughs> okay. share some historical and philosophical context for this word that kind of gets us all bristled up in today's modern culture so that we can better understand it. Yeah. Well, the first thing we have to do is understand our own biases. Everybody's biased, okay, about everything. And if we understand our own biases, that helps us have deeper understanding. And the first bias we have is that, uh, uh, Marx went back and he took every single relationship in every single society and said it was a class struggle and it pit the different groups of people against each other. And he split males and females. And he was always like, okay, one's oppressed and one's an oppressor. And what they don't realize is that the only oppression that's been going on in the world over the last 10,000 years is mother nature, mm. the capacity to just survive mother nature because mother nature was the oppressor and all mother nature wanted to do was kill you. Right. And the only way that you could survive is by partnering males and females partnered together and they had different roles. And so if you're going to go back and say, well, 2000 years ago, women weren't allowed to do this. 
Well, what you have to do is you have to have the intellectual integrity to say, okay, what are all the things that women weren't allowed to do and were allowed to do? What were all the things males were allowed to do and not to deal do? And what did that do to help them try to partner with each other? A lot of things were so focused on just survival or even just the production yeah, of food, right? 90% exactly. of jobs were around getting yeah, food, food from the field yeah. to the table. And almost every job had some sort of focus on that. And yeah. then maybe 10% were, you know, working in the temple, doing yeah. different things like that. So it's like, we now have shifted in America to a point where it's like maybe 20, 30% of people yeah, actually work less. in the agricultural yeah. food provisioning yeah. system and yeah. the rest of us are dinking around on social media <laughs> or whatever other thing. And so we well, lose so much yeah. of this stuff. Right. And that, then that's just a new phenomena at the turn of the 1900. So just a hundred years ago, you know, 90 some percent of all American citizens worked in agriculture, right? They worked on a farm. And so now that's, yeah, it's down to like 10% now, Yeah, but it's really quite fascinating. But what happened in that culture is that it was really important to note and Judaism had a massive and overwhelming influence on the first century church. Peter himself, the apostle who wrote these words inspired by the Holy Spirit, even had to be convinced in the book of Acts that Gentiles could be included in the preaching of the gospel. Right. Okay. And this is the whole Cornelius's household incident. Now, in the Jewish home, it's really important to understand is that the female was the primary spiritual leader and focus of life. In ancient rabbinical literature, when you read, uh, read it, it all considers the mother as the primary parent. Hmm. You know, you even get a little flavor of this in the life of Jesus, you know, who was the primary role in Jesus's life. I mean, after, after he's born, you don't really ever hear about Joseph, Joseph. again. He just sort of pieces out. He went out yeah. for cigarettes one day and just, <laughs> and never you never know, you never know. We don't know, you know, we assume he died, but we, it's never mentioned how he died, when he died or anything else, right. but Mary is central. Mm. And so this is really important. It's called uh, matrilineality. And what that means is that in Judaism, your uh, geological ancestry is traced back through the mother. And so it's the female line the that determines yeah. is whether okay. or not you're Jewish or not. And so that's, that's really significant, I think, mm. important. And so, so when you understand the central role of the female in this lifestyle they had, what is the exact meaning of the word subject? What does that mean? Well, uh, in the original language, Greek, uh, Koine Greek, it's a dead language. No one speaks it anymore. Uh, according to Strong's, the, the bottom line is that the uh, subject means a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. So mm. being subject means I'm going to cooperate, I'm going to give in, and I'm going to assume responsibility where I can, and I'm going to carry this burden. Therefore, this is what's really important. It doesn't matter whether you're married or not, but what if what Peter is pointing at is to a underlying truth, and that is this is how females are designed. It's woven into their DNA. It's woven in their physiology, the way they think, the way they interact with the world. And that is women do better when they receive something because it allows how they're designed to function in the most maximally efficient manner or in the best way possible. In other words, something happens, they receive it and then they can consider it. They work with it. And then ultimately they can multiply it. So what he's saying is that 
in this situation is that a husband can initiate or a man can initiate and that gives a woman an opportunity now to consider uh to uh work with it to multiply it and i think this is a big deal because today in today's dating world and all of the young females that i talk to and all the young females in colleges campuses across the united states that I've interacted with say over and over and over again, we can't even get a guy to ask out on a date. And it's so frustrating to them. And then you talk to young wives and they're just like, I'm the leader in the relationship. And they don't say that as I'm happy about it. They say it, I'm really, and I think what's happening is they understand is that I'm really good and I'm really wired. If, if something happens, then I can take it and receive it and interact with it, Mm -hmm. right? And so um, if you choose then to cooperate, if you choose to assume responsibility, if you choose as a female to give in, you're doing what is best for you, you see? And so the word subject is an opportunity for women to function in the way they're designed and not have to function in a way that says, I have to create, I have to initiate, then I have to act on it, then I have to multiply it. I'm exhausted from all this. Right. So the possibility is that the teaching is designed, this teaching, this this verse we're looking right. at, is, is designed to, to create and maintain, it's not there to create and right. maintain some patriarchal yeah. system of oppression, right? right like exactly. that's not the point of the verse, but instead it's to give women the opportunity to walk in accordance with their design, mm-hmm. how their best, um, what God's original yeah. idea of how they could best utilize and interact with everyone else in mm-hmm. the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that their life will be filled with the most fulfillment, like they will have and ex- exceed all expectations in that style. So what is the this meaning of the gentle and quiet spirit? Because I know that's sometimes a, a phrase that gets people, <laughs> gets fired, people fired up, up. you know? Yeah. Well, we're just supposed to sit there and look pretty and be quiet, right? Like that's kind of how they interpret it is they they I I see these these memes where they're like, Well, the Bible just wants, you know, women who just sit and they're quiet and they don't do anything kind of a thing, right? Like that's <laughs> yeah. a thing. Exactly. That well, people are trying to spin. Right. It's not, I don't think it's accurate at all. I mean, I think the, the, the first thing we're talking about is when a woman is subject, she's asking, let's say, I want my husband to initiate so I can interact. A perfect example, and then we'll talk about quiet spirit, is this, is, is about, you know, you have a couple and they want to go out to dinner, you know, and so he says, where would you like to go? Right. And, and almost always, I would say 90% of the time, the female will say, I don't know, where do you want to go? This is a perfect example. And then, so what he does is he says, well, let's go to the steakhouse. No, I'm not feeling like steak tonight. Oh, okay. Well, let's go Italian. No, you know, that gives me a little, no. See what's happening is he's initiating, he's suggesting, and then she's reacting and responding. Right? So what happens is, is that eventually you get to, you know, oh, what I'm really interested in is the taco hut down the street. And and she goes, yeah, I'd love tacos. And he goes, I'm fine with that. Let's go get tacos. You know? So she's, so it it works better that way. And I've learned this over the years is I will say to my wife, I'll say, Hey, game way. We know we're going to go out on Friday night. Where do you, you know, what are you thinking that you'd like? And she'd say, Oh, I'd like this. I go, well, let's go to this place. And then she'll go, well, I don't know. Let's go to this this place. And my, in the back of my mind, 
I don't really care what place we go. <laughs> but I just know that that's how the interaction works. And then we get, and she has a great time. Well, and we see this when I'm teaching dance. That's kind of the whole basis of dance. Yeah. In, in a ballroom dance partner scenario is if you're socially dancing, you're not doing choreography that's predetermined. You are basically as a lead, which is typically a male. Yes. You are there to say, hey, why don't we try doing this move? And she can either choose to do the move or not do the move. Yeah. And that's her choice. Yeah. It is never me forcing her to do something. It is always a series of suggestions, yes. usually through hand movements and stuff. And sometimes she'll just drop all position and do her own thing. And that's also fine because that's how we're interacting. We're having yeah. a conversation. We're doing it. And that's why I think this, this idea of it's not, you're not subjecting in the way that the world is trying to tell you where it's Correct. like, you have to do everything I say and do it yeah. this way. It's not about it's power. An, it's an active conversation of, yeah. Hey, I'm thinking we should do this in yeah. this dance move in this timing and she can go, Oh, that's fun. Let's do that. Or no, what if we, what, this? let me ask you a question. This is a great uh, line of thinking here real quick. And that is, is that I'm going what to happens, what I know, Pastor right. <laughs> but let, let's just, let me ask you this question. What happens when the lead is timid in their suggestions? They hate it. And then the girl starts back leading. And then she typically doesn't ask that guy to dance again because she, because then she's having to do, yes, she's having to come up with the moves. Yep do her own footwork, try to figure out how to tell him how to do his footwork yeah. and also still have fun. And it's just overwhelming. And I mean, the guys struggle with that, but ultimately ballroom dancing specifically is never about the guy looking good. It's almost always about the, girl, the girl looking, looking good. good. And so it's like, he can handle some of the, all the suggesting part because then she takes it and goes, Oh, I can work with that. Exactly. I can work with that. And see, that's just it is most people, this is what Marxist ideology that's crept in in our society is done primarily through feminism is this, is that it has said to males that leadership is a power play and it's not. What leadership is, is it's a suggestion. It's an initiation that's clear. It says, I want to do this, but it's not arrogant by saying, I you only, have to yeah, do this. you have to do this or I only want to do this. Right. It's, I want to do this. And then, you know, and, and this is really critical. It's a father mm. when you're raising kids, whether it be boys or girls is to say, uh, you have to initiate. I want to do this. I want to go there. Da, da, da. But the best dads are like the best coaches. And that is you're super flexible and you can go in any direction because you're a master of every direction. Mm -hmm. The issue is, is that where there is no leadership, there's no initiation, it just falls apart. Yes. Absolutely. So, and why do, why do men become what I call beta males and won't initiate? Well, part of it is this ideology that's been pounded into their head over and over again, but it's also because of this. Listen to what he says with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. So here's the bottom line, ladies. What he's saying is you are a woman. You are capable. You can make things happen. You can do it all yourself. You can make your own money. You can pay your own way. You can be totally independent. You don't need a man and so forth and so forth. But the real question is, does that fulfill your soul? Does it bring you fulfillment, meaning, and affirmation in life? Because the ancient Hebrew word for female is sleeve. Females can do whatever they want, but the real question is, what is the best thing for females to do? What is the best way to live? And this is the ultimate upstream idea. And that is this, is that your design is a sleeve to receive. And then you can then take that, consider it, you can multiply it, or like in your dance illustration, you can choose to say, 
nah, we're going to do something different. And then that requires more initiation. And so what happens is gentleness is the means of control by which you are able to receive. What does a woman need to control? See, look, gentleness is about control. It's not about weakness. Weak, weak people don't have to be gentle, gentle with anything, right? Yeah. That's not a thing. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was taking my daughter horseback riding one time, we go out there, she's real little, you know, and I look at this gigantic, almost 2000 pound, you know, horse. horse. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness. And the handler would always say, don't worry. She's a gentle horse. Mm. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, you know, you don't look down and go, oh, that mouse is gentle. Right. Well, yeah, well, th- that doesn't matter. You have matter. to have strength in <laughs> yeah, order to, to be, be massive. And so that's really important, ladies. You have to understand you have capability, so you have strength already. God assumes the strength that you already have and operates from that perspective. And so you have to control that. And what does a woman need to control? Okay, that's the question for you. And that is, what... Uh, what uh, types of motivations, what types of activities or behaviors or attitudes that you have to have that interfere with you receiving, you see, and being able, you know, to allow a consideration and a multiplication, a decision-making process. Uh, The other word that he uses here that I think is really important is the issue of quiet. So in this particular circumstance, the Greek word does not mean like quiet, don't talk. What it means is quieted, uh, means peace. So what he's saying is that you have a gentle, a controlled, okay. You're controlling your power. And then what you're doing is you are at peace with yourself. I mean, we kind of see that in like a silent night, holy night. We're not saying the night had to shut up. It's right. a peaceful holy night, right? Yeah, you could reinterpret yeah. those words the exact same way. And it gives that same thing. When you're thinking, when you're singing silent night, holy night, you're not like, man, I'm so glad the coyotes shut up at that night. It's yeah. like, oh no, this was a peaceful, yeah, holy night. Right? And when women aren't at peace, you know, in jet, now this is a generalization, but this is research is all proven. This is that when a woman is not at peace, what does she need to do? She needs to process her emotions and she talks. Mm-hmm. And that's why women can use two, three times the amount of words in a day that a man can, because that's how she's processing. She's maybe she's not at peace, but what happens when a woman finally gets to that point where she's settled on an issue and she is at peace with herself? She tends to do what? quiet. She becomes, she's content. And so the question is for you ladies is what areas of your life do you need to be at peace in? Because the opposite of quiet is not talking this type of quiet. The opposite of this type of quiet is contentiousness, which means constantly striving. And in Proverbs 21, 19, it says it's better to live on the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman, a woman who's constantly striving because she's never at peace. She has zero contentment in her life. So if, if you're living in a way where it's never good enough and there is no peace, then you should consider, wow, maybe what he's saying about learning to be subject, in other words, finding places that bring initiation into my life so that I can consider and respond will allow me to exercise control, self-control, and it will allow me to experience peace in my inner spirit. See, Apostle Peter saying that a gentle and quiet spirit is precious in the sight of God. So when it comes to the role that you should play as a woman, what role should you play in your household? I have no idea. 
I don't know. I can't say I'm not a woman and I'm not in your household. However, I can say that Peter teaches if you follow God's plan for your feminine design, it will produce within you a peace that surpasses all understanding and a greater self-mastery, a self-control that will give you a sense of strength you never believed you could have. Well, and I see, we see that in so many different things. I mean, society's constantly telling women um, who they should be for a long time and saying, oh, well, Christianity is the thing that's actually keeping you from being yeah. authentically mm-hmm. yes. women, right? Um, we see this in how society tells people how they should view sex and how they should mm-hmm. deal with all of these different things. And ultimately, all we're seeing is more anger and yeah. depression and whatever. Yeah. Like the it's further not we working. get away from God's plan, right. whether it sounds, you know, with all yeah. of this spin that society likes to put on it, the more upset we are getting. Yes. So it's like maybe once you've bashed your head against the wall and we've gone this way for so long, we're like, well, maybe, maybe they're not yeah. telling me the truth. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really correct because what what's happening is it comes from this ideolo- this ideology which basically you redefines what it means to be a human being. And that basically means there's no intrinsic value in males, there's no intrinsic value in females, they're interchangeable parts in the social machine. And so what happens is if you don't wrestle with your definition of a human being, you won't ever be able to wrestle with your definition of what does it actually mean to be a woman? And how am I really different than males? And so maybe this stuff in the Bible is a lot more ancient and a lot more appropriate because it's based on thousands of years of wisdom and then inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's God's actual words. And so maybe my path to strength is not feminism, but it's following God. Maybe my path to peace and to fulfillment and meaning in life is not what society is trying to tell me I should or shouldn't be, but it's listening to the one who created me. And when I walk and I find that. And so that's why this Marxist ideology that teaches these things is so undermining and detrimental. And, and it really removes the whole notion of male and femaleness. And so I would say, consider how that's influenced you in your thinking so that you can walk in the fullness of who you were designed to be. So I've got one final question okay. uh, as we're wrapping up uh, about this ideology that, that assumes men and women are exactly the same, okay. right? Mm-hmm. So let's, let's take that. If males and females are both created in the image of God and reflect the image of God, then why did Jesus come as a male? Oh, you're trying to stump the pastor, I'm, the salty pastor. I, I got to give you a hard one once in a while. So. Well, I, well, let's go back to exactly what we were talking about. And that is, is that, well, first and foremost, what is, we talked about this earlier, what is the number one temptation for men? It's passivity. Mm. It's not engaging. And uh, Dr. Mr. Proctor, Pro- talked, Dr. About Proctor that. talked about that over and over again. We see that right up front. And part of the curse is, you know, food, you the ground will only produce food. If you work for it. Yeah. By the sweat of your brow. Mm. <laughs> so you can't be passive and survive as mm-hmm. a man, you know, but to, in today's world, because of what we're doing and where we're going in Marxist ideology, we're trying to create more and more passive males. And, and that's become a massive phenomena right, right now. And so that's a real issue. And the, what it does is drives women crazy because women then don't have anything to work with. Right. You know what I'm saying? I can't say no or yes. <laughs> Cause I, I get nothing from them. Right. I get nothing. I'm operating in a void. I'm not, it's, it, yeah, it's driving me crazy. And so I think that is extremely frustrating to women because women are designed to do what? Receive 
and then consider and decide and multiply. They're force multipliers. They're the force multipliers, that... yeah. So why did Jesus come as a man? And I'll tell you why. Is number one, to exemplify to all men what authentic masculinity is. Okay, so he has to exemplify to men. But the other reason why he came as a man, I want people to really think about this, is because he allows all women, even women without men, to have something to receive and multiply. Mm. So you're not lost. You're even, not operating in a vacuum anymore. Yeah, and even if every man in your life is totally sinful and totally absent and totally gone, you're still not lost in a vacuum because Jesus initiated, and that gives you something to receive, to work with, and multiply. Well, I think that has shed a lot of light, and I, I appreciate you using the Bible, biblical text and then giving us some context from that time and really understanding the words because I think, again, people love to take things out of context and then say, see what this says? Um, so I appreciate that you've given us some things to think about, given our, our listeners some things to think about to grow their faith so that they can um, utilize it. And then just like we've encouraged, they can receive this information and then consider it and then force multiply it into something amen to better their lives so thank you guys so much for joining us this week and we'll see you on thursday here on the salty pastor podcast blessings 